Hi, this is Panel Beater and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radiotherapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page. Hello everybody, it's Dr. Nick here again and welcome to Radiotherapy Live and on Podcast. First, uh, a big thank you to our fishy friends from Radio Marinara for the last hour of aquatic awesomeness. Oh, and on this cold and rather blustery Melbourne morning, why not make a coffee, rug up and stay with us through to 11 o'clock? Because coming up for you, we have the chicken noodle soup of radio, a show that promises to be heartwarming, comforting, revitalising and stimulating. And in the studio, helping to stir the broth, we have our resident psychotherapist and all-round polymath, Prudence Deer. Welcome back, Prudence. Oh, you, you've been over... I'm about a breath, actually. It's <laughs> no. probably pertinent for what we'll talk about later. But, yeah, I've just been overseas. I've just uh, flown in from Heathrow Airport. So there you go. That's why I've only just stumbled into the studio this morning. You were trying to keep Boris under control, were you? Oh, well, that was hilarious. Still is, isn't it? <laughs> You're on the Triple R private plane? <laughs> of course, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. You found a seat, you know. Actually, I introduce you. Here's a question. With that, I introduce you as an all-round polymath. The question is, is that a tautology? I have no idea. I don't even know what it means. We'll defer that to perhaps our other resident broth stirrer, <laughs> who's the most important man in the room, the man who makes it all happen behind the scenes, and also joining the conversation today, panel beater. Good morning, Dr. Nick. 
How are you doing? I'm very well. Is all-round polymath a tautology? I reckon, yeah, it's a good question. Tautology, saying the same thing twice. A bit like saying, oh, I don't know, the, he's a homophobe who doesn't like gay people. So, tautology. Anyway, we'll come back to that. Um, so I'm going to torture the culinary metaphor just a little bit further because our ingredients today... We're going to take a careful look at vaping. Is this a safer alternative to smoking, or is vaping a gateway drug, a sneaky way to hook in the kiddies? Also, we're going to look at a recent study from Cambridge about an online game that may help us spot fake news. might be useful in this era of Trump and Brexit. And now having to deal with mental illness is hard enough on its own, but imagine what it would be like if you add a disability, like deafness or being in a wheelchair. Well, that's the topic that's explored in a new show, a show called Qualia, that's on here in Melbourne, coming up in the Fringe. And I'm really excited to say that in a few minutes we have a couple of guests joining us from Qualia. So I'll have that in a minute, but first we're going to have a little bit of medical news. Doctor, doctor, give me the news, I got a bad case of loving you. No pills gonna cure my ill, I got a bad case of loving you. Yes, you're here with Dr Nick on Radiotherapy 3 R at 7 past 10 on Sunday morning. And in the studio we've got Prudence and we've got Panel Beater. Panel Beater, um, talk, we were talking about podcasting the show, but you've been listening to a particular podcast. I have been listening to a podcast and it's good to be able to talk about some news that's perhaps not too traumatic. It's been a traumatic news week with talk about um, Medibank um, diddling some customers and uh, random drug testing for welfare recipients and big pharma and opioid crisis. There's a lot going on at the moment. My God, that's an entire show in yeah, just one sentence. that's right. Um, but um, I was listening to a podcast uh, called The Shrink Next Door and I thought our listeners might be uh, equally keen to get it in their ears if they haven't already. It's a podcast that comes from the crew that um, Wondery is the publisher, and they're the same crew who brought us uh, Dr. John and um, Dr. Death. Um, uh, Dirty John and Dr. Death. Um, they're two different podcasts and well worth checking out as well. Um, and Wondery's general shtick is true stories. Um, often with a little crime bent or some kind of um, social drama to them. And you're going to have to help me out. Where's this made? Uh, Wondery is a US production house. US, okay, yep, thanks. Yep. Um, and The Shrink Next Door was released in May and it spent um, a bunch of weeks um, at, as the number one podcast going around. And um, I had a listen. It's just seven episodes long, but you can certainly uh, binge it as you would uh, binge uh, any of your Netflix. It really is a, a scream of a, uh, of a story. It tells the story about a, um, a shrink, a psychiatrist, um, up in the uh, Hamptons, uh, you know, a, a popular um, summer destination for the well-to-do of um, of uh, New York, and uh, the the author producer of the podcast um, moved up there for a summer, and moved in next to the aforementioned shrink, and um, it it and from there we start to get a tale of you know, uh, defrauding and uh, manipulation. So it's really, uh, uh, on one level, it's a story about how uh, talk therapy, for all its wonders and um, and all its many subscribers, um, it is it comes with its own um, potential dramas in relationship between patient and, and shrink. 
I can imagine the psychiatrists listening to this from their legion. Yep. Um, going, oh, my God, is this just another thing about everyone saying, oh, does that mean you're going to analyse me? No, no. So what happens is the, um, the, the, the producer, the author of the um, show, he moves up there for summer. And um, as a newbie to the neighbourhood, um, a bloke comes over the na- uh, and uh, invites him to a garden party um, for the next weekend, garden barbecue. And um, their understanding is that the person who's invited him is the gardener of the of the <laughs> owner of the house. And they go over to the party, and um, I won't give too much away. Don't worry, listeners. Um, I'll leave plenty for you to catch up on. He they go over to the um, party and uh, the barbecue. And they get introduced to who they believe is the owner, the psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist is introducing them to all the other guests and taking them around uh, the house. And they, in one particular uh, moment, takes them into, a, I guess, a living room, which is just the whole walls are covered in um, photos of this psychiatrist um, and various celebrities, you know. And uh, he's, he's certainly doing a sales pitch to his new neighbours. Right. Well, it, it sounds like a fascinating podcast here, The Shrink Next Door. Sorry, Nick. Oh, I, I, I can see you're trying to yep. wrap up there. But um, I think the, 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 the bit that I'll um, um, uh, encourage people to uh, tag into is that it turns out that the shrink, uh, the, the owner of the house is actually the person they thought was the gardener. And the gardener Shock is horror. the patient of the shrink. Oh, my goodness. A whole seven episodes. Sounds fantastic. Um, I'm going to give you a quick teaser here because this is just something I discovered um, at the end of the week. Um, but uh, I've been closely following what's happening in Victoria's voluntary assisted dying legislation, which came in in June. Um, and so what's turning out is that there are some real problems with people getting access to this particular bit of legislation. And it turns out that one of our major Melbourne hospitals um, will not allow assessments mm. to be made and will not allow people to use the medication on their premises. And I'm not talking about one of the faith-based institutions. No. Are we deliberately not saying? I'm deliberately not saying because this is, a, this is something which we're just going to mention now. I think we're going to do this in much more detail in a full segment in the future. Mm-hmm. But it was a real shock to me to discover that one of our major institutions who, in my view, should be supportive of this, are not only blocking people from having assessments on site but saying people you can't actually use this medication here Um, and this is a hospital that had previously got behind it right is this a change of position i'm going to i'm going to leave it exactly there because we're going to come back that's a teaser because we're going to talk about that in more detail in future we're going to come back to you right after we've had a few stationed announcements and we'll be back with those lovely people from qualia theater triple r and welcome back to 3 Triple R. This is Radiotherapy with me, Dr. Nick. We have Prudence Deer and Panel Beta in the studio here. And I'm really, really excited because I read a flyer about this show called Qualia, um, which is a theatrical performance coming up on the 20th to 22nd of September at the Northcote Town Hall. Um, I'm not going to say any more about it. I'm going to introduce two people who do know about it. We have Jess. Jess, thanks very much for coming into the studio. Thanks for having us. And Heidi, who I think is both creator and performer of this show. Is that right? Thank you. I'm not a performer because I cannot act. So I'm behind the scenes. I'm the director and producer and... Kelpie and Packhorse behind the scenes. <laughs> so, so let me ask you straight away then, Heidi. Tell me about this show. What, where did it come from? What's it about? So, Qualia is a, 
I think it's been in generation for about 10 years, this, this actual piece, and it's a theatre work. So it features um, performers, storytellers with actual living experience of the mental health system and, and public psych wards. So, and Qualia came about because I run a festival called Mojo Film Festival, and it's about short films made by people with schizophrenia. So instead of seeing a film about schizophrenia, Actually, here's a film made by a person with schizophrenia. So Qualia sort of continues my curiosity about how we can tell authentic stories about mental illness where people with mental illness are in places of power. And this is uh, particularly looking in your theatre production, Qualia, it's about people with extra other disability apart from mental health issues. Jess, you're sitting here next to me. Tell me about yourself and, and what your role is here. Um, so I'm one of three performers in Qualia and I uh, live with a physical disability. Uh, I use a wheelchair. Um, we also have a performer who is deaf as well, but, um, you know, I think that's an important part for a story for her to share herself. Um, but, yeah, the focus is on what it is like to have those extra needs and uh, how that can actually prevent you from accessing adequate care. And I want to come back to your story in a second, but you skipped over something that's so important. I realise that we don't want to talk about the experience of someone's, um, someone who's deaf in a psych setting, but that is an extraordinary thing. This is part of the show, so that story is heard in the performance? Very much so, yes. I mean, I would be fascinated to know what that experience is like. So you've dragged me into it. <laughs> People want to know uh, firsthand what the experience is like in the psychiatric system when not only do you have a psych illness, but you're deaf. Wow. Um, but tell me more about your experience. You, you've actually had first-hand experience of the psych services as someone in a wheelchair. Yeah, um, I've been uh, going in and out of the psych system from the age of 12. That was when my first admission was. So I have an experience as uh, someone who's under 18, but also someone who's an adult. And the last five years, I'm 29, the last five years I've been using a wheelchair. So I, I've seen both sides of it. And I've also uh, done a bit of nursing in mental health before I needed the wheelchair. So I've kind of have it a, a, an overall experience from both sides. And what's, what happens when you're in a wheelchair as opposed to more able-bodied? Oh, it is so much more complicated. Um, accessing the system is, is pretty much impossible. I've even um, been stuck in emergency on a trolley for four days because they couldn't find a bed anywhere, whether it be public or private, the whole of Victoria, we could not find a bed and I needed one at that point. So, But was that anything to do with the wheelchair? Was yeah. that just the whole system? Was um, No, they, they really uh, have trouble taking people on if, if they've got extra needs, whether that be uh, physical illness that need uh, medical care or actual accessibility. And what, what sort of cap- you know, capacity is there as well for, for carers to be there to support you, assuming you've got one? What, what happens there? Are they able uh, well, to I, intervene on your behalf at I all? I actually um, live independently, yeah. but um, getting carers in is, is something that doesn't really tend to happen. Um, so that's why there's so much trouble accessing mm. it because the nurses don't want to take on, I guess, that extra responsibility if needed. Okay, so actually, so the, does, does your disability then become like the key sort of um, issue and actually they're not even aware? And you, do they lose awareness of what you're really there for? Yeah, I think they lose sight and they have, uh, I guess, misconceptions as to the links between physical illness and mental illness. 
Um, but just the limitation with accessing um, the unit, whether physically or in the sense of how much support you may need. And did you notice a difference? Because you went from someone who wasn't in a wheelchair mm. to someone who was, so you've seen from both sides, as you say. Did you notice a difference in how you were treated once you were in a wheelchair? Very much so, What? Yeah. What, what was the difference? Um, I mean, I initially got diagnosed with somatoform disorder, um, basically saying that uh, everything was all in my head when actually I have a genetic condition that I've had from birth. Um, Do you want to tell us what that is? Yes, yeah, so the condition's called Alice-Danlos Syndrome. It's basically a, a collagen malformation that... So Jess and I were talking about this just before we came on and she said Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and something in my medical student brain from back in the 70s clicked. I thought, I've heard of that. And then she said, what do you know about it? And that that was it. (laughs) This is a rare, rare disease. Yeah, and it's very much not known even in the medical community. So on average, it takes eight to 10 years to get diagnosed. And so to begin with, you were diagnosed as actually being bonkers and Mm -hmm. there was nothing wrong with you physically. This Mm -hmm. was just all in your mind. Yeah, yeah. And by a psychiatrist, I'd been seeing for 10 years at that point so it was it was hard and we had the scans there so yeah you know he just wasn't listening to me or my other medical professionals did anyone turn around and say sorry no <laughs> Heidi I want to come to yourself as as writer of this show we can now tell us not performer um but you're obviously very involved in this area tell us about your story yeah, so I'm I'm writing with a playwright called Michael Olson, who's doing a lot of the English um, playwriting for this show. So shout out to Michael. Um, but my story is I've been in the public psych system for um, 25 years, I would say now, and it, it's been absolutely challenging. And I haven't seen any difference in that 25 years, apart from now they let you out of your bedroom freely so that's probably the only difference I've seen in 25 years Um, schizophrenia is still the same schizophrenia that it was when I was diagnosed in my very very early 20s and it's still treated the same so they still medicate us when we become unwell the only treatment is to medicate 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 and psych wards that's pretty much all they do is get you medicated to your stable enough to go back into the reality that made you sick in the first place. And hearing you say that, I can imagine people saying, well, what else do you want them to do in hospital? What, yeah. what would you like to see as help? <laughs> well, you know, I think that um, people with, with PTS, and that's post-traumatic stress, not disorder, Um, you know we're very creative we're innately creative and we're survivors so I would love to see more of the arts brought in as 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 healing Mm -hmm. tools Mm -hmm. and you know so there's there's nowhere near enough um, acknowledgement for the arts in healing and so a lot of people with mental illness experiences are now saying that our experiences come from trauma and so you need to heal from trauma you can't recover from trauma you need to heal from the inside and I think the arts hold so much power Mm. in that secret and yet they're still funding more beds it's an interesting point that you make I I happen to be on the writing group for the medications in psychiatry we're rewriting the book at the moment (laughs) every single chapter there are statements made about the role of psychosocial input and and art therapy and that sort of thing but in reality almost always what happens is exactly what you're saying the focus is on the meds Mm -hmm. yeah and I think the art is used as therapy and it it 
in that relationship, it's it's kind of who's in the power there in that relationship when you do artist therapy. I totally understand that art therapy is useful for people, um, but when you are an artist, you are the expert in the room, and you're not doing therapy. Art is therapeutic, but you are you are the expert. And I think with Qualia, that's what I hope that people see mm. is that Jess. Hadley and Xavier. Xavier is the other actor, incredible actor. Um, you know, we get to see that story. So you say you've been involved in the system for 25 years, that nothing's changed. We've got a Royal Commission happening at the moment. Have you been involved in that at all? Yeah, so I've been part of the Royal Commission into the mental health system in Victoria and I've been to the consultancy meetings and things. And, um, you know, I, I think there's there's some great conversations happening but they're conversations about the same old things right so yeah we, we've been talking as we say it's sort of like you know very much driven by medication and those sorts of things um in terms of the arts then you know this is a way that you can communicate to our community and hopefully mm. the professions as well around what's needed how are we going to get professionals to come and actually see your show how are we going to engage with them as opposed to having to go to a royal commission and, and sit there and give a formal testimony i think that's a fantastic question and it, it's you know i've been running these kind of events for about 15 years now and it's always a challenge to get professionals to come to these these kind of things so I think word of mouth is going to have to be it, and it's same as word of mouth in the disability community, mm. mental health community. And I think, you know, we can do all the flyers and invites and emails we need, but it's going to take word of mouth. And Jess, um, you yourself, you've um, been involved in the Royal Commission or made a submission in some form, is that right? Um, I have not been informed with the Mental Health Commission. I've been a little bit informed with the Commission around disability and um, that, and I've been informed, uh, involved with trying to help change the system, the mental health system, before the commission happened. So what would, if you could change something in the mental health system as the consumer, wave the wand, tell the commission what to do, what would it be? <laughs> um, uh, if it was just one thing, I think one thing that's really important for me is uh, access for people with disabilities. When, you, um, when your life changes dramatically like that and you lose everything that you knew, you need a chance to rebuild yourself and it can be very challenging and I think we're extremely at risk of developing mental illness. And so we need to be able to access these spaces so that we can get that assistance that we need so that we can get back with our lives and, and start again. So I want to go back to the show. Mm. How long is it running for? We've got three performances, uh, the 20th, 21st and 22nd of September. Uh, the 22nd of September is actually a PTS-friendly performance. And Sorry, PTS-friendly? Uh, post-traumatic stress. So okay. we take down the stimuli and some of the triggering, um, I guess, yeah, things that are in the show, just uh, being wary of what other people may find a bit difficult. I'm, I'm struggling here because if you're doing a complicated show about mental health <laughs> issues and disability and you're going to take away all the stressful stuff, it's going to be a very quiet, very short show. Can I jump in? It's a very important point. So all, all the things I do in mental health arts, it's how do you present triggering topics without triggering the very people who need to see it and who need to be part of that. And so it's a continuing conversation we need to have. And I think, you know, the, having performers in the show who have lived experience, we're inviting our friends. So we're telling people, you know, this is real stuff. 
you have the choice to come and see this and be part of the real stuff or you have the choice to come on Sunday where it's a little bit less confronting. So it's all about choice. And one of the things I would hear you saying is that, that it should be a choice that people like myself, people involved in the health field, it should be a choice that we make because it's actually a privilege to hear from people involved um, the real lived experience. You're doing it for th- those um, three days in North Korea. Are you hoping to go elsewhere afterwards? Because that's a huge amount of work. For of a- course. <laughs> we, we cannot let this finish on the 22nd of September. This has to keep going and it has to keep growing. So we're looking for funders. We're looking for supporters. We're looking for in-kind support. We're looking for patron support, you know, so please, 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 you know, keep this story growing and going and we need your help. So, you know, book a ticket, come along, um, fund us, <laughs> send us some links, you know, we need you. So, so the show's at the Northcote Town Hall Arts Centre. It's on the 20th and 22nd of September. Can you... 21st. 20, 20th, 21st, 22nd of September. Can you tell us where we can get tickets? You can get t- tickets at Darabin Arts if you go to darabinarts.com.au. That's darabinarts.com.au. And you can also go to Melbourne Fringe. And if you go to both those websites, just type in Qualia, Q-U-A-L-I-A. As Heidi was doing that, she was typing it with it. <laughs> Beautifully done. Thank you so much for coming in. I think this is absolutely fascinating. I can't wait to see the show. Um, Heidi um, from Qualia and Jess, thank you for your thank time. You. Um, we'll yes. look forward to hearing about that afterwards. In the meantime, we're going to go to, to a quick yeah. station break. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Um, panel beta. Yes. Let's talk fake news. Fake news. So this is um, close to my heart because I, I deal with a lot of students who will come into classroom discussions, workshops with uh, with some of the stuff that we're covering and they'll say, oh, such and such reported X, Y, Z. And um, they're asking things like, you know, is this really the case? It sounds kind of conspiratorial or it sounds like it could be what, you know, is being pointed at as fake news. And so we often have to, you know, unpack things to work out to what extent um, the news source can be trusted um, and how our own, how each of us in our own way are vulnerable to confirmation bias, um, for want of a better word. So, and just, in, just to clarify that, confirmation bias, you mean hearing things that fit your own views Absolutely. and so accepting them as real news because it suits you. Absolutely, yeah. yep. Um, and even actively seeking it, seeking out that bias, you know, and people have heard the term, you know, um, echo chamber, especially in relation to social media and so on. So during the week, um, I came across an article um, that was uh, a peer-reviewed article on some research that was um, publishing the results of efforts some um, psychologists went to to develop a, a game, um, an online game that people can access, um, and you play the game as somebody who's trying to manipulate the news. And um, um, I'll come to some of the detail of that in a second. What the researchers wanted to be able to do was test the applicability of what psychologists call inoculation theory. Uh, theory. Well, hmm. is this one for the anti-vaxxers? <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, it's, it, it's that, it, that's the analogy. That's the, the metaphor. So from a psychological point of view, using that um, uh, clinical analogy, um, the idea is that you give people uh, small doses of 
in this case, fake news. Um, And um, by in doing so and exposing them to it, the theory is that they will eventually become more alert to being able to identify when they're being manipulated or potentially manipulated. So you're priming that fake news immune system to respond when the real thing comes along. Is that sort of using some of those sort of principles, though, even of like propaganda, which again is to kind of feed, drip feed people the kind of the same kind of story over and over? And that would be the fake one, and they believe it, so... Exactly. Exactly. How do you differentiate. And well, yeah. So what they, the way that they went about it was they, um, they, when we always love from a research point of view when we've got big numbers. When in this case n equals fifteen thousand, so it's a significant study um, and done across um, a variety of uh, European countries at this point, um, but in a variety of languages and in a variety of in a variety of therefore uh, news contexts. Um, the one downside, you know, so that's the upside of the of the piece. But and the researchers also acknowledged one of the downsides was that they recruited online, so it was very, it was self selecting people. So that's always an issue with um, um, research. Um, so the players go online, and I did this. I did the game myself. Went online, and you you basically just keep following sequences. You keep making decisions, um, and those decisions relate to um, you know preparing, drafting up a tweet that's kind of saying something outrageous, uh, for example. And um, if you choose a one tweet over another, um, you've got a, a scoreboard that's telling you your credibility rating. So the player's objective is to manipulate the news as much as possible while keeping their credibility rating as high as possible. And as they go through um, the, that process, they're constantly challenged. They've got tools such as um, they can use um, bots, you know, those, those um, AI-generated um, uh, messaging um, applications. You've got um, photoshopping opportunity and you can manipulate conspiracy theories and can you give us a practical example of content? What what sort of topic were they dealing? With? Yeah, there was um, the 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 tweet the, the one that I was looking at most recently yesterday was uh, you can go down this. It's like a choose your own adventure is probably a good um, way of explaining it. And so, uh, in this choose your own adventure, you start off with a tweet that just says um, the mainstream media is a mass conspiracy. They can't be trusted on anything. And you know exclamation mark. You know, da, da da da, and then you choose that, and your credit rating, credibility rating goes up, and or down, um, and you just keep making decisions after that. Up pops up on the screen your next decision, your next decision. Um, so, I just lost my train of thought. So, what I'm not clear about is yep. how this is teaching people anything about fake news it's teaching people maybe to create fake news because they're getting feedback about well if you did that suddenly your credibility would go down this sounds more realistic but how is this actually training people to detect fake news in the experience of making the decisions they make in their choose their own adventure they're recognizing in themselves their capacity to manipulate others right so i'll read out a couple of the findings for you um, first, um, you know, there was uh, the one of the researchers pointed out that um, there's an evidence. There's evidence now that um, 
uh, of a way to start building blanket protection against deception by training people to be more attuned to the techniques that underpin fake news. So once you start to know how to apply those bots or the um, photoshopping or the um, conspiracy theory manipulation, then once you yeah once you know how to do it, you kind of therefore know how to potentially recognise it. So this would be a little bit akin to maybe understanding how politicians are taught to spin data and knowing that you can then detect it when they're doing it and be more aware when that's a little different dr nick okay that's that's that would be putting the focus on what the politicians are saying fake news is about how the media behaves Mm -hmm. right so this is about um addressing how the media um presents presents news um so the research has also found that those who registered so when the when you self-selected into the research you had to give yourself an initial rating um, and they found that those who registered as most susceptible to fake news headlines at the outset benefited the most. So that's an encouraging um, result from from the research. I, I do wonder if, if there's though quite a sort of narrow sort of group of people, even though it's a large sample, you know, they are going to have a certain kind of view of the world and perhaps a, a certain level of skills around, you know, understanding how to even use these tools. Whereas, you know... Many people who are going to be susceptible to fake news are those who are, if you like, are going to perhaps be less connected with technology to some degree, who may also, and one of the things I think that do that, that fake news producers will prey on is kind of fear. So I know that's confirmation yep. bias, but it's even more intense than that. It's very easy to kind of feed that fear of, you know, the xenophobia or whatever. Sure. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, whether this, certainly the experiments, it might, might show that people can actually develop the skills to, what, to analyse the information they're being given and to appraise it. But I'm wondering how useful that's going to be when we look at how media has been manipulated and it's about the swing vote. It's the few percentage points that you need to move you know, people from one position to another, yeah, so yeah. swing voters. So self-selection is, is always a concern uh, in evaluating the, the, the value of research results. Um, they and the and the researchers acknowledge that, so they 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 recognise that as a limitation, and um, they recognise that of those fifteen thousand, they could identify that it was slightly skewed towards younger, male, liberal, and more educated demographics, right? Um, but they also pointed out, with that in mind, um, they found the game to be almost equally effective across age, education, gender, and political persuasion. And do we have any data about whether this change in their capacity to detect fake news persisted because um, one thing that sometimes happens with this sort of research a week afterwards you say oh that's really had an right. effect but if you go back six or 12 months later it's disappeared yeah so this just um just released i haven't uh, had a chance to do the longitudinal um which i'm sure will be in the works i'll certainly uh, be keeping an eye out for it i'll just um <laughs> run off a couple of the other quick findings so that we put some numbers to this uh for the disinformation tactic of impersonation um, uh, often seen in the mimicking of uh, trusted uh, personalities on social media, um, influencers otherwise known as. Uh, the game reduced perceived reliability of fake headlines and tweets by 24% from pre- to post-gameplay. Okay. Bad News Gameplay reduced, uh, and that's the name of the game, Bad News Gameplay, uh, reduced the perceived reliability of deliberately polarising headlines by about 10%. 
mm-hmm. and discrediting, attacking a legitimate source with accusations of bias by 19%. And one last one, uh, for conspiracy, the spreading of false narratives, blaming secretive groups for world events, perceived reliability was reduced by 20%. So was it fun? Is it worth doing? Yeah, it's really straightforward and easy. They've created a junior version um, now. They haven't reported results on the junior version, but they've now got a um, a game version of it that's targeted at, I think it's like um, um, late primary school, early high school age. So what's it called again? It's called um, Gameplay. Gameplay. Uh, bad, no, Bad News Gameplay. And you can go to um, getbadnews.com and play it. It only takes about 15 minutes or so. There you go. So I, I suspect the world would be a much better place if everyone became inoculated against fake yeah, news. Against so fake thanks for yeah. that. An uphill battle, though, I imagine. Oh, I think it's a fascinating. Yeah. At least someone's trying and they've started. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, we'll be back right after these few station announcements. Triple R. Welcome back to Radiotherapy on 3 Triple R 102.7 with me, Dr. Nick. And we've got Prudence Deer and Panel Beta here in the studio. And uh, Prudence, you're, yeah, you're always uh, up for something a little bit controversial. Yeah, <laughs> Tell me what you've got oh, today. Well, well, this, um, well, I've been away the last couple of weeks. I mean, I've still been keeping an eye on the news. And there was a story that started to develop from from the US originally um, around... No, I love I love different you know terms vaping vaping right so what's vaping um, e-cigarettes electronic okay. cigarettes is what we're talking about here these things you see people walking down the streets and yeah. these great plumes of that's what right. looks like smoke but it's, it's vapor not. Uh, yeah that's okay. right and I mean I guess so yeah you know what is vaping well it, it's it's been around I mean it hasn't you know as commercial products they've probably only been around about fifteen years or so there. Um, and but there's been a growing interest in them, and they're becoming quite a significant market. Um, probably mainly, you know, being driven by the concept of you know a smoking cessation aid. So this is about you know tobacco control and about health. And, and essentially, um, it's a source of nicotine. Well, isn't that right? It can be. Let's oh, put it that okay. way, it can be. So um, this, this is probably one of the issues, and we can, we'll, we'll expand on this in a bit. But in in Australia, you can't sell um, e-cigarettes which have nicotine in them. Right. But in the US and in Europe, they, they are marketed like that and they come in different strengths. And you can also, um, so, so an e-cigarette is a is an e- sort of electronic device. It's got a battery in it. It's got a little heating element in it and it has some kind of reservoir which holds a liquid. And that can be a liquid that you can add nicotine to. Very often people will add flavours to it. So you can have, funnily enough, tobacco flavoured. I'm not quite sure why you'd want to do that. Um, but you could probably understand orange or rose water or something else. That well, might I suppose if you're trying to quit smoking, then tobacco yeah. flavoured might help. Well, indeed, indeed. Um, but anyway, this thing will sort of like vaporise the, the liquid inside and any materials with it. And the principle being that it's not burning anything. Right. This is not setting fire to something. And what we know is when you take plant material like tobacco and set fire to it, you know, it gives off some very toxic and carcinogenic compounds. So that is kind of like the problem with cigarettes. But what they say with these cigarettes, of course, is they don't do that. Yeah, and it's always said that there's at least a thousand toxic compounds from burning tobacco or indeed marijuana, whereas the addictive bit is the nicotine. Okay, indeed, that's right. It delivers nicotine. So, you know, so these these devices have been kind of promoted as a safer alternative to smoking that they don't cause the sort of damage um, and, and would be a, and it, uh, is a method of delivering nicotine to people without all the additional toxic compounds. So 
Um, they are used, therefore, you know, as smoking cessation aids. And it sounds straightforward. You've got a thousand toxic yeah. chemicals and not, not present. You've got the nicotine right. there, but nicotine might not be great, but it's without the yeah. thousand so chemicals. What's not to like? Yes. Well, indeed, that's right. So, um, but, you know, a lot of people are using them. In this country, I think only, you know, the, the numbers are quite small at the moment because nicotine's not actually available legally. In, in them, but in the US uh, and Europe, they're, they're, they're becoming very popular. And so, can you clarify uh, that when you say nicotine's not vape? So, the people walking down the street trailing these trails of vapor, uh, well, they're probably not they doing probably it for fun. Bought it for, if they've got nicotine in them, they got it from overseas or they got a prescription. Right. Yeah. And okay. when you say prescription, it is legal. I believe you can prescribe it. You're the doctor. I mean, that's what I read in an informed source. <laughs> I, I think this is part of the debate, isn't it? Is whether it should yeah. be treated as a therapeutic um, product or not. Mm. Well, certainly as far as the, the actual e-cigarettes are concerned, that's right. They're not seen as, a, you know, they're, they're just a you know, consumer product. They're not a, a health or, or medical type product. So, so tell us what the problem is then. If these things the don't is, have toxic hydrocarbons well, that from burning stuff, they've right. only got nicotine, why should we be worried? Well, why should we be worried? Because there's been a recent cluster of very serious um, lung conditions in America in the last, literally in the last like three months. Just um, and there was a publish uh, in our study published in the New England Journal of Medicine. So hopefully again a kind of reliable source. Obviously pretty quick because it's actually covering only the last you know July, June, July, and August. Um, but just in two states in the U.S. Um, they had they, they were able to capture the data from 50 people who presented to um, emergency departments with very severe respiratory distress, some of whom needed you know intensive care, and several of whom who died. And I believe that the, the, the fatality numbers now are about six people have died in the last three months. And across a number of other states now, they are reporting on these adverse events. And um, you know there's several hundred. And do we have any idea where the Adversity is related to well, the nicotine, to the type of, them, of additive. Well, that's right. Well, we all any? of them had been using e-cigarettes. Um, many had been using them with nicotine, but one of the about eighty well of the study in which there were only fifty people being looked at, eighty percent of them had actually been using trihydrocannabinol in them as well. So cannabis, the the oil, the the active ingredient of cannabis, people were adding to their e-cigarettes. Now, whether that is, you know, what what the issue is there is, a, is a, you know, is not necessarily clear at this point in time. But what is being speculated is is about oils, some sorts of oils inside that when they are vaporized and form an aerosol, get into the lungs and can cause a lot of, you know, can cause a sort of immune response that then results in quite a lot of inflammation in the lung. Which would make sense because we know that oils, in a general sense, yeah. in the lungs are not a good thing. But so, this is, but this is an important extra. Twist yeah. that maybe it's people and adding something they're not supposed. Yes, to. and people do. You can get e-cigarettes where you can load. You, you buy all the ingredients and you mix your own. You know, <laughs> it's like roll your own. You mix your own. Well, one of the other concerns I've heard about e-cigarettes and, yeah. uh, and vaping and so on is that it, is this a, a sneaky gateway manoeuvre to get young people hooked on nicotine to then move them onto tobacco? Do you know if there's yeah. any evidence well, there around is a that? Bit, there is some evidence around that. I think in, again in the US they're looking at young people who are the main people who use these, but as much as like 30% of young people who are using are vaping are then going on to tobacco products. I think a little uh, flag for us on that one, Dr. Nick, is the enthusiasm by which many of the large tobacco companies are now investing in vaping. Um, they wouldn't be investing in vaping if it was something that would actually end up... One, one brand spent over a billion dollars yep. buying one product type, right? One brand of e-cigarette. E and I think, you know, um, that, yeah, look, there's a, a huge lobby 
being funded by the tobacco industry mm. in this country to allow nicotine to be included in um, e-cigarettes. I'm, uh, naturally, I feel biased towards this concept because I see so much harm coming from mm. the burning of tobacco and marijuana and the damage that that causes. I can think of a, a guy I know who has a very severe chronic mental health issue and like a lot of people with schizophrenia and uh, complex mental health issues, mm. smoking rates are much higher. Uh, this man has managed to give up smoking cigarettes by using vaping mm. um, and it costs him much less he looks better his lungs are better so i i see an avenue where i think well i would rather yeah. people in that situation were inhaling pure nicotine mm. than the other thousand toxic chemicals that come with a cigarette sure. but we can also posit as well that there are a number of other cessation aids including you know nicotine patches chewing gums and so on and with behavioral you know and psychotherapeutic sort of support those are the successful ways of giving up Thank Smoking. you, Prudence. You are an absolute marvel. That's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. If it, I was over in the UK in Wales, a little town called Machankleth. Um, one, of those, yeah, one of those Welsh words with lots of guttural stuff and mucus on the microphone. I bet you it's spelt nothing like it sounds. And walking down the high street of Machankleth, there was a shop which said, For all your vaping needs. Yeah. And this was a few years ago. I looked at what on earth is that? And mm. I had no idea. It's a, no, it's a real trend, isn't it? So, that's right. so do you have a sense where we're going? Is there any? To, this is a, uh, an article saying we've seen oh, some nasty problems, but everything has some potential risk to it. it yeah, do we have a sense whether this whole vaping thing is moving towards being a less good thing, or we should be well, embracing I think it's it? Shifting. And I think there was an, inter- you know, an impression that it was incredibly safe. And I think like with anything, you know, there are risks involved and that's becoming more obvious. And, you know, this this could be a significant issue for people to understand how to use these devices if they're going to and what not to mix in them. And one of the messages I heard from what you said was that 80% of the people who had serious trouble yeah, were so actually mixed in this particular they study, but, this particular but they study. were mixing cannabis oil yes, in their in vaping. So yeah. <laughs> perhaps a, uh, an initial potential message, if you are going to vape, probably put the compounds in there that are meant to be in there. That's right. Don't no, start don't mixing up other stuff and playing around with it. That's oh, fascinating. Can you please keep an eye on that one? Because that's not yeah, literature look, it's, that it's, I'm, I think yeah, this is... This a, is moving quickly, actually. Yeah. This is moving really fast. So it'll be very interesting to see just where it goes and the fact that actually there is that level of interest because, you know, it's significant. It's got mm. big commercial and big health, you know. And what do you reckon, panel beater? Do you think this is going to be a, a, a tobacco industry beat up that they get it in for the wrong reason? Or is this a good thing that we should be having? My uh, yeah, look, I'm I'm sceptical about vaping. Panel yeah. beaters, sceptical. Yeah, sure. Um, and um, you know, I I I reckon, yeah, okay. If I'm going to roll the dice on this, I don't reckon there'll be vaping in the next five years. Panel beater would rather roll the dice than roll the joint. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Putting words in my mouth there, Doctor Nick. Oh, listen, any time to wrap up. So it's just in time to say. Thank you very much to our wonderful panellist, Prudence. Thank you for coming in It's been a pleasure to be here. Our gorgeous guests from Qualia Theatre, Heidi and Jess, who left early. And don't forget, you can get tickets for their show, Qualia, at the Northcote Town Hall. It's on September 20th, 21st, 22nd. I'll be going, so come down and join us from Triple R. Huge thank you to Panel Peter for contributions, comments, and keeping this whole show on the road. Um, I've been Dr Nick. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can check us out on Facebook. You can listen anytime with Triple R Radio On Demand. 
Hi, this is Panel Beater. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radiotherapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page.